You're listening to a message from our Sunday morning service at Hayes Hills Baptist Church, where we seek to bring life-changing hope to an ever-changing people through the unchanging gospel. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit hayeshills.com. Our prayer is that this message would serve to equip and empower you to live as a follower of Jesus in conjunction with your belonging to a local body of believers. Well, we're currently walking through our series on 1 Corinthians, which we'll be in for the majority of this year. We'd encourage you to follow along, and we hope that this message serves as a blessing to you. Over the last several months, uh, my wife Lindsay and I, we've been watching uh, various seasons of the show alone. Have you, have you seen the show? Uh, what they do is they, they take contestants, they drop them off somewhere in the wilderness. They've only got 10 items, and then they see who can survive the longest alone in the wilderness. And one of the things that's been most fascinating to me is from time to time, there will be a contestant who uh, kills big game. Maybe they get a moose or a musk ox, and, and they've got all this meat to eat. And they're, they're eating it, they're consuming these calories, and I think, okay, they're just going to coast to victory because they've got all this meat stored up. Everybody else is just, you know, trying to kill rodents and things to stay alive. But, but what's happened to several of the contestants is they've got all of this meat and they are eating it, and yet they still starve. They're still losing weight because while they have plenty of protein, they don't have enough fat. And because they don't have the proper nutrition they're starving. And, and I wonder if something like that can happen to us spiritually as well. Uh, we come to faith in Jesus, we believe in Him, and we want to thrive spiritually. We want to grow in our spiritual knowledge and understanding. We want to grow like Jesus, and we assume we ought to because we're doing the right things. We're reading the Bible, we're praying, we're going to church, and then we take a step back. We look at our lives, and we find it feels like I'm kind of stagnant in my spiritual growth. Or maybe I've even taken a step back in my spiritual growth. And could it be that although we are taking in things that are supposed to nourish us spiritually, something is, is wrong with our diet? We don't have the proper nutrition, and so instead of thriving spiritually, we're stagnant spiritually. You know, what is required for proper spiritual nutrition? Uh, the Apostle Paul answers that question in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, I want to invite you to turn there with me. If you've got a digital device you can use to pull up the Scriptures, I'd encourage you to search for the ESV, the English Standard Version, as that's the translation of the Bible I'll be reading from this morning. And so if you search ESV, 1 Corinthians 3, you'll be able to follow right along with me. And I'm going to begin reading there in verse 1, and these are the words of the Apostle Paul. He writes this to the church in Corinth. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And this is God's word to us today. And here in these verses, Paul makes clear first that in order to have proper spiritual nutrition, you have to have a right view of your own spiritual development. You have to have a right view of your own spiritual development. Notice there in verse 1, uh, Paul says, in essence, uh, back in the day when I, when I arrived in Corinth, when I first got there and planted the church, quote, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. When I started preaching and I was among you, I had to preach to you as though you were you're immature spiritually. Now, since that time, the Corinthians believe they've grown. They, they believe they've attained maturity in Christ. But in verse 3, Paul says, oh no, you haven't grown at all. Notice verse 3, for you are still of the flesh. He says, you, you were of the flesh back then and you're still of the flesh today. You haven't grown since I left, at least not measurably. Now, how could Paul know that? I mean, Paul's not there. Paul's in Ephesus, and they're in Corinth. He's almost 300 miles away. But if you'll remember, back in chapter 1, verse 11, uh, Paul had received a report from Chloe's people. They'd returned from doing business in Corinth, and they'd told him, hey, uh, the church in Corinth has split into factions based on their preferred spiritual leader. And some were saying, oh, I follow Paul. And others were saying, oh, we follow Apollos. And others were saying, oh, we follow Cephas. That's Peter. And they had formed these factions and had divided among themselves. And here Paul says, hey, you think that you're mature, but your conflict reveals your character. Division in the church is a sign of spiritual immaturity. He says there in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3, he says, You are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The end of chapter 2 in verse 15, uh, Paul had spoken of the spiritual person. Now, the person who possesses the Holy Spirit. And so that person doesn't just have access to the wisdom of the world. They also have access to the wisdom of God. And oh, how the Corinthians wanted wisdom. How they wanted to attain spiritual maturity and be elevated up above others. And and so they thought that they had arrived and they had achieved that. In fact, that's why they are turning their noses up at one another. You got one group that's saying, hey, I'm We follow Paul because that's where real wisdom is found, is in his teaching. What Paul told us to do, that's where wisdom is. You guys following Apollos, this new guy who's come to town since Paul left, you're you're abandoning the fundamentals of the faith. You're you're abandoning what we were founded upon, and and you're just going off the path in a wrong direction following Apollos. 
And those following Apollos are looking back at those who are still tied to the teachings of Paul, and they're saying, why are you think you're wise? We're the wise ones who are following Apollos. You're stuck in the past back with Paul. You're just stuck with how the church was planted and founded. You just need to get with the times, and you need to follow Apollos. That's where real wisdom is. And both groups think that they have ascended to a level of understanding that is greater than the other group. And Paul says, in reality, you're just, you're just acting like immature babies. You're, you're acting like children. You're revealing that you're not a spiritual person. You're just a person. You're someone who is animated and driven by a party spirit, not the Holy Spirit. And so he says there in, in verse 4, are you not being merely human? Now, the problem in Corinth is not that the Corinthians aren't Christians. Uh, Paul made that clear back in chapter 1, verses 4 and following. They are Christians. The problem is they're not acting like it. Instead of the church being characterized by the unity of the Spirit, they are characterized, verse 3, by jealousy and strife. And Paul says that jealousy and strife, it reveals that that these divisions that you think make you mature are actually just badges of your immaturity. And Hayes Hills, I, I want you to hear me. Truth matters, amen? But a church that tries to make every point of doctrine a test of orthodoxy will quickly cannibalize itself. You know, um, not, not even my wife and I agree on how everything in the Bible is to be understood. And so if you think that the only way you can have fellowship in a church is for you to agree on every jot and tittle, it will not be long before you have no fellowship at all. Because if my wife and I can't agree on how we're to understand everything in the Bible, how are we possibly to get hundreds of people in the same church to agree on how to understand everything in the Bible? Paul says when you act this way, when you, when you divide over the teaching of Paul or the teaching of Apollos, you are not revealing that you have matured in your doctrinal understanding. You're just acting like children. And I've got two children, two sons. And believe it or not, from time to time, they, they try to correct one another. <laughs> you have that happen in your home? Now, why do siblings want to correct one another? They do it because if, if I can correct my brother, then I get to claim the moral high ground. I get, to, I get to show that I am superior to you in this moment. And so when Lindsay and I hear that in our home, you know what we say? We say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You are, you are not to correct him. You're, you're not to discipline him. You are not his parent. You are his brother. And that's what Paul is saying here in this text and also says in Romans chapter 14. He says, look, it's not your job. It is not your job to, to stand in judgment over your sibling because in the household of God, we are all siblings with the same father and it is his job to correct and it is his job to judge. A day is coming when we will all stand in judgment before the Father. And on that day, He will judge us. We do not stand in judgment over one another. 
And so, for example, in Romans 14, Paul makes clear that Christians are going to disagree on things like what food can be eaten and what food cannot. Christians are going to disagree on things like uh, what holidays are to be celebrated and how are they to be celebrated and how should you treat the Sabbath day. And, and, And these kinds of disagreements are going to exist in the church. And although they are over doctrinal issues... And how you understand the Bible, they are not to divide the church. Because there is Christian liberty that has to be extended to brothers and sisters in Christ. And you understand it is not your job. You are a child, not the parent. And in the household of God, we are not to split over every matter of doctrine. We are to be united as a family. And the problem for the Corinthians is they thought that by dividing over these doctrinal debates, they were giving evidence of their maturity. And Paul is saying, you have done just the opposite. You think that you're mature, but you are still an infant in Christ. And not only had the Corinthians taken on a, a wrong view of their own spiritual development, because of that, They had a wrong view of a proper spiritual diet. Notice there in verse 2, Paul says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. And just like the Corinthians, we often make mistakes here too. Uh, You see, uh, what the Corinthians thought is what we often think, that uh, milk is for the immature believer. It's for the new Christian. You go over the basics of Christ crucified. You go over the basics of the gospel. And then once you've got that down, once you're a mature believer, then you get to deep doctrine and these doctrinal debates, and that's where you spend your time. One is milk, one is solid food. And and Paul here, he's actually using their argument against them. He's using their own language and turning it on its head. Because you see, what happened is when Paul showed up in Corinth and he started preaching to them of Christ crucified, the the message that although we've all sinned, we've all disobeyed, God in his love sent God the Son, Jesus, into the world, and Jesus lived a perfect life. And then Jesus went to a cross and he died to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. That Jesus rose on the third day in victory over sin, death, and the devil. That Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now lives, offering forgiveness of sins, eternal life, adoption as the children of God, to all of those who would turn from sin and put their hope and their trust in Jesus. Not in who they are and what they have done, but fully and firmly in who Jesus is and what he has done. All of those who do that, one day when Christ returns, they will rise from the dead to rule and reign with him forever. That is the good news of the gospel. And when Paul preached that message, you know what those in Corinth did? They said, yeah, 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 Paul. We, we've heard you say that. We've heard you say that a hundred times. But tell us something new. Teach us something deeper. They thought that they had matured to a point that they were ready to move beyond the gospel. And that was their biggest mistake. Because it doesn't matter who you are, you never move beyond the gospel. What we all need is the preaching of Christ crucified. That's what Paul had made clear back in chapter 2, verse 6. Look at it. He said, hey, yet among the mature, when we're among mature believers, we do impart wisdom. 
You're accusing me of not giving you wisdom. When I'm among the mature, I do impart wisdom. And what is the wisdom he imparts among the mature? He makes clear. It is the preaching of Christ crucified. Because what the non-believer needs to hear, what the new believer needs to hear, and what the mature believer needs to hear are one and the same. The preaching of Christ crucified. Because we are not only saved by the good news of the gospel, we are also sanctified by the gospel. We are made more like Jesus. We grow in Jesus-like actions and habits through our understanding of Christ crucified. I mean, think about how the situation in Corinth would have been different if they had had the cross in their vision. Because over here, you've, you've got those who follow Paul. And they're minding their own business. But then one of these folks with a little bit of sass that's following Apollos begins to run his mouth. And he begins to tell these who follow Paul how they don't have the wisdom that he has. And when he says that, what do these folks who follow Paul do? They begin their own verbal onslaught. And now things just begin to escalate. But in the cross, what do we find? We find our Savior Jesus who when he was reviled did not what? Revile in return. At the cross, Jesus didn't pray for God to drop the hammer on all of those who set themselves up against him. He prayed for the Father to forgive them. How much differently would the situation in Corinth have looked if they'd had the cross in their vision? In Corinth, believers were seeking to separate themselves from everyone who in their estimation didn't have things quite right. Like, you're a little off on your, your doctrine, your teaching. We're going to separate from you because we got to separate from you if we're going to be, be right. And they sought to, to shout at one another from above and to say, look, we're separating from you because you don't have it right and we're going to tell you that you're wrong and we've got it. We know more than you. But what do we find in the gospel? Thankfully, Jesus didn't seek to separate himself from everyone who didn't have it quite right. But he drew near to us instead. He died on a cross to make all of us who who didn't have it quite right, right because of who he is and what he has done. And Jesus didn't stay up in the heavens and shout at us from above. He came down to earth and he humbly served us from below. How different would the situation in Corinth have looked if they'd had Christ crucified in their vision. And you see, the, the, the problem is, for so many of us, we, we think that, well, give me the gospel, sure, I, I need the fundamentals of the faith, but, but I'm ready to move on, I'm ready to do, do something different, something deeper. But as Michael Jordan once said, winners don't just learn the fundamentals, they master them. You have to monitor your fundamentals constantly because the only thing that changes will be your attention to them. And what is true in sports is true in spirituality as well. If if you lose sight of the fundamentals, you will fail to continue to develop and grow as a believer in Jesus Christ. What we all need in in our spiritual diet is the regular preaching of Christ crucified because that is the news by which we are saved and it is the life-giving, life-changing, life-altering news that we all need to be made more like Jesus. 
We need Christ crucified. And because those in Corinth had the wrong view of their spiritual development, they had a wrong view of the spiritual diet that Paul was giving to them. They thought he was just giving them milk for babies, when in reality, he was giving what he gives to the mature, and they just didn't want to hear it. But not only did they have a wrong view of their spiritual development and a wrong view of a proper spiritual diet, they also had a wrong view of the church. They had a wrong view of the church. They thought that in order to have a healthy church, you had to follow the right leader. And Paul steps in here to tell them that a healthy church is not one that is fixated on following the right leader, but one that is focused on following the risen Lord. They thought, you know, we've got to follow Paul or Apollos or, or Peter. And he says, no, the, the, the reality is a healthy church is one that is following the Lord. You know, um, what happens so often here is, is what Paul points out in verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? And you might want to circle those or underline them in the text because he doesn't say who is Apollos. Who is Paul? He says what? He takes people and he makes them sound like things because he is trying to remind the church that he and Apollos are really not that big of a deal. They are nothing but servants through whom you believe. You see, a healthy church is one in which its leaders are servants and not celebrities. And boy, we get that twisted quick, don't we? Because when you sit under the preaching or the teaching of a man for some time and you are benefited by it, you begin to hold that man in high esteem. And if you are not careful, you will give him a place in your life that he does not deserve. I'll tell you, I've been at Christian conferences where I have seen people lined up to ask preachers to sign their Bibles the way LeBron James would sign a basketball. How delusional do we have to be to take a book that has been inspired by the Holy Spirit and ask a man to sign it? But we are good at making celebrities in our culture, and as a result, we are good at making celebrities in the church. But a healthy church is one in which its leaders are servants and not celebrities. Because look... Um, these guys, they're, they're really not that big of a deal. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants, and they shouldn't be set against one another, Paul is saying, because we serve the same master. You, you can't set Paul against Apollos because we serve the same Lord. We're on the same team. And so Paul and Apollos, they're not going to let themselves be the, the name brand of some religious party. They want to put that to bed. Get that done with. You don't understand who we are. We're just servants of the same Lord. And we, we in God's providence, yes, some of you, you've, you've come to believe through Paul's preaching. Some of you, you came to believe through Apollos' preaching. But, but ultimately, it wasn't due to Paul or due to Apollos. What does verse 6 say? It, it was based on the way the Lord assigned it. The Lord, in His sovereign purposes, decided that some of you would come to faith through the preaching of Paul, some of you would come to faith through the preaching of Apollos, but it was the Lord who was behind it all. 
Because we are just servants through whom you believed. And that word through is a key word, isn't it? Might want to underline it. Because a healthy church isn't called to believe in its leaders, it is called to believe through its leaders. Because Hayes Hills, I love the Lord Jesus and I'm going to seek to follow him all my days by God's grace and with God's help. But I am a man and I'm going to make mistakes. And if your faith is built on me, when I make those mistakes, you're going to be in for some rough times. Some of you, you've been in a church where you were under the spiritual leadership of of a man and you benefited greatly from his teaching and then he had a moral failing and your faith was just shook. But if you understand that those who preach, those who teach, they are just people, not that you are to believe in, but to believe through, then when that person falls, your faith isn't just devastated because you understand. My faith wasn't in him anyway. My faith was in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he hasn't changed. He is who he is and has always been and will always be. A healthy church doesn't believe in its leaders. It believes through its leaders. And these spiritual leaders, they're servants. It's important to remember that, but it's also important to remember that they are God's servants and not yours. Uh, We can get that mistaken quickly in the church. We can believe as Christians that when it comes to our church staff, we, we hire you, we pay you, and so you answer to us. But if you want to be in a church that is going to promote your spiritual growth and development, you need to let the servants God has sent to you lead you as God leads them. Because they do not ultimately answer to you. They ultimately answer to the Lord. They are his servants and not yours. And when a church gets in the business of trying to micromanage its staff and tell them, hey, you're going to be here and you're going to do this and call all of the shots, man, things Things get stunted really quick because staff are not ultimately your servants. They are the Lord's. Because as we see here in the text, Paul and Apollos, they are servants through whom they believed as the Lord assigned to each because it is the Lord ultimately who owns the church. But it is also the Lord who grows the church. He says, verse Six, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And because it is God who grows the church, we got to remember that. I've got to remember it as a pastor. I got to remember it in the good times. Because when things are going really well here at the church, when When it feels like we're growing in attendance or we're growing in giving or people are being baptized or I see people more committed to prayer, I'll tell you, I I can start to believe that it's because of me. I can get a big head real quick. And, And not only can I tell myself it's because of me, I'll tell you what, sometimes you help me by saying that to me too. Look at what the Lord is doing and it's because of you. But it's God who gives the growth. I gotta remember that in the good times. And you know what? As a pastor, I've gotta remember that in the lean times. 
Because when things aren't going the way I would like them to go here in the church, when, when, when things seem to be headed in the wrong direction, I have to remind myself that it's not all on my shoulders, but it is God who gives the growth. And I've got to remember that as a pastor, and you've got to remember that as a parent or as a grandparent. Because we want our children to come to saving faith in the Lord, and, and you can start to believe in the good times when your kids are chasing after Jesus and you see spiritual growth, you can think, man, I got this parenting thing figured out. I'm awesome. And you look at other parents who their kids are kind of struggling. You're like, man, these, these people, they, they just don't have the spiritual maturity I do. If they'd parent like me, their kids would turn out like mine. And you got to remember it in the lean times because when your kids aren't chasing after Jesus, they're running away from Jesus. You can begin to think it's all my fault. And some of you, you are sitting here this morning and you are eaten up with guilt because you believe your child's current spiritual condition is all on account of you. But you need to remember, it is God who gives the growth. He's given us each a part to play. He gave a part to Paul to plant. He gave a part to Apollos to water. But ultimately, growth is in the Lord's hands. And so what we do matters. I want you to hear me. What we do matters. What I do as a pastor, what you do as a parent, it matters. Notice verse 8. He says, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. A day is coming when we'll, we will stand before the Lord and have to give an account for what we've done with what we were entrusted. But ultimately, whether there is growth or not does not depend on you or on me. It depends on the Lord. And so we have to remember that as, as a pastor, as parents, we also have to remember that as a church. Because if it is God who gives the growth, then we, we've got to pray, Hayes Because we are utterly dependent upon Him. Like there will be no growth apart from His action through the Holy Spirit. It's why we have the Tell It To Two display in the foyer, and, and I hope it will motivate you to pray for your two, to say, God, I want to see you move in their life. I want you to, to save them, and so I'm calling out to you for their salvation. Would you give me opportunities to speak? And, and you put that white ball in when you, when you pray for them. You put that orange ball in when you have that gospel conversation, and you speak to them of Jesus. But then that green and that blue, their, their belief in Jesus Christ, their baptism, that isn't up to you. That's up to the Lord. And so we got to be dependent on prayer as a people. And Hayes it says something, doesn't it? When, when we can have a members meeting and there, there can be maybe a little bit of conflict or a little bit of uncertainty, and we got 100 plus people who show up, and then we gather for a church-wide prayer meeting, and there are 20 people that show up. It says something, doesn't it? It says something about what we value, about how we think the church operates, We will pray if we understand that we are dependent upon the Lord, and we will not pray if we think we can handle it on our own. So, Hayes Hills, may we be a people committed to pray. Because spiritual nutrition requires a proper view of our own spiritual development an understanding of what we need in a spiritual diet, regular preaching of Christ crucified. So that we might understand as a church 
that we are utterly dependent on God who gives the growth. They didn't see it in Corinth. And conflict raged among them. May we see it at Hayes Hills so that the world would see our unity in the Spirit and would come to faith in Jesus Christ by an act of the same Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that, Lord, in Jesus, not only have we been given your righteousness, but Father, that in Jesus, we have been given the indwelling Holy Spirit that causes us to grow in likeness to you. And Lord, we know that we are dependent upon you for that growth. So Father, we pray that you would make us more like you individually and corporately as a church. Father, we ask that, God, we would place a priority on I'm pleading for you to move and act in our midst, in our community, in our country, and in the nations. And Lord, we know a day is coming when the knowledge of you will cover the earth the way water covers the sea. And we look forward to that day. Bring it, Lord Jesus, we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hayes Hills Podcast Network. Feel free to follow us for more content. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at hayeshills.com.